Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Struggle Creates Strength. Struggle Creates Strength is a mental health platform exemplifying that everyone has a story. I always say that no two stories are the same, but every story has the potential to help someone else. On today's episode, we are joined by 21-year-old Kylie Morera. Kylie's story is remarkable, and she's so courageous for speaking up and sharing what it was like living through her past. She talks a lot about her suicidal attempt, how anxiety has impacted her life, and also an eating disorder called atypical anorexia. Her life has not been easy, but she's here today to speak up and hopefully help somebody else today. I hope everyone enjoys her story, and I hope that you can gain a little bit of insight on what it was like to live in her life. Also, this podcast is sponsored by Raincoast Clothing. Raincoast Clothing is a clothing company based out of Vancouver Island, Canada. They represent nature by embracing adventure, spontaneity, and health, both physical and mental. They have recently decided to join my mental health movement and donate 5% of profits from every item of clothing towards mental health awareness. Also, we have collaborated and created a Struggle Create Strength t-shirt, which has 100% of profits going towards mental health awareness. Go to raincoastclothing.com and help support mental health while getting yourself some great clothes. Now, I hope everyone enjoys Kylie's story and just remember that everyone has a story. There you are. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing very good. I'm doing very good. I'm super excited for this podcast. I've been looking forward to it since the last time we talked. And yeah, I'm obviously super eager for you to share your story. I'm very grateful that you're actually sharing your story. I know it's going to help a lot of people. And I just first and foremost want to say thank you. And just basically can't express my excitement for this. Yeah, I'm really excited too. I think this is going to be really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, So basically, I'm just curious if you wanted to jump right into your story or if you kind of want to ease into it. It's totally your call. Everyone's different, but whatever Uh, you kind of want. Yeah, I think just kind of like jumping right into it. I, I wrote a few notes down, so I kind of like have like a little outline, but yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And I'm like, again, obviously, you debriefed me a little bit on your story. But I'm just I'm super excited to hear kind of in depth about everything that you've encountered. And just because I I know where you are now, and just the person that you are, it's it's spectacular. So I'm excited to hear hear the whole story. Awesome. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to tell it not hear it. because I mean, I already know. (laughs) All right. So um, yeah, like, I think everybody's stories especially with mental health is really really different like there's no it's not linear like you're going to meet so many different people who have so many different things to say and so many things that they've gone through and I guess for me like I kind of started to notice that like my mental health wasn't in like a very good place when I was around 14. I think that's kind of when it all started. Um, And I think it kind of started, I knew I had anxiety um, because like it it had kind of come up throughout my entire life where I used to like be really anxious about my parents leaving or going on trips or, you know, like I'd even be scared at sometimes to like sleep in my own bed because I thought that like, something was going to happen and I was going to die and nobody was going to hear me. And I had like this really intense fear of just a losing my family and the people I love and be like, 
dying. Like I, I was always so fearful and then, you know, that kind of went away with age. But then when I was 14, the anxiety started to come back in like a social sense. Mm-hmm. So I first started to kind of have an inkling where like I could not go to my locker alone. Like I had to have my friends come with me always or else I'd think, oh, there's people looking at me and they're judging me and they're thinking, oh, she's a loser. She's all alone, like all the time. And of course, like nobody was probably thinking that, but that's what was going through my mind, you know, the whole time. It was, it was like so much and so overwhelming. And, you know, my friends would always be like, why do you always, you know, need us to come with you? And I was like, I can't explain it, dude. Like I, I just have this feeling that like people are judging me. So like, I need you to come with me. And they usually did, which was really, really nice. But I kind of started to notice that. And then everything kind of progressed um, and got worse from that point on. Like, um, like I said, I was 14. And at that point, my, um, my parents had just uh, separated. So they had divorced and, you know, at that time, you know, I was like kind of expecting it to happen because, you know, as you get older and you start to see certain behavioral patterns, like, you know, I I started seeing that that was going to happen at some point. So it it did. And, you know, I thought that I was going to be okay, but I ended up becoming extremely depressed. And like, it was, like I would be in bed in the dark all the time. And at 14, I actually like started drinking alcohol. Like I I was really, really young and, you know, I, I didn't like get drunk or anything, but I mean, I, I had a Palm Bay or a margarita or something like that. But, you know, I come from a very European family, like I'm half Portuguese. So I was raised to kind of respect alcohol and to be like, okay, it's fine in moderation. And, you know, if we teach her at a young age that, you know, it's okay, she'll kind of, you know, not go down this dark hole. So, you know, my family was kind of like, "Eh, whatever, like she's 14, old enough, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, whatever, (laughs) let her, let her make her own margaritas. So, you know, I actually, um, through that and being, you know, in that place after my parents divorced, um, I actually wound up um, enrolling in homeschool. So I was in, I think it was, I think it was grade 10 at the time. And I got just so depressed and so anxious and I didn't want to go to school. And I thought that everybody was kind of like going to gang up on me and like, I just had this intense fear of even just going and showing up to school. So my grandpa, who has been involved in the school district for many, many, many years, he ended up, you know, getting me into um, homeschool in Vernon. Um, And it, it really sucked. Like, you hear all this, like, oh, yeah, homeschool's awesome. Like, you can totally, like, do everything from your own home and you don't have to see anybody. But then, like, I just, I, it got so isolating and scary. And I, like, I wouldn't even, like, get dressed. I would literally just sit at the table and do my homework and then go to bed, right? So, you know, that, that really sucked. Um, and I became like, yeah, as I said, super isolated. 
I gained a lot of weight then too, because it was like, you know, my dad had just moved out. It was just me and my mom because I'm an only child and it got really lonely. And so, yeah. And then I like it lasted three weeks. And I ended up enrolling back in VSS because I'm like, this sucks. I can't do this anymore. So, yeah, that was, <clears throat> you know, and I kind of dealt with that on and off for a while. And I think for me during that time, my biggest solace was, um, you know, I was I was doing dance all the time. Like I did dance six days a week. And on top of that, I also was involved in like, you know, school musicals, um, the play, drama, stuff like that. So, you know, that was kind of a comfort to me. And I, I used to be kind of shy when I was younger, but yeah, it, it was, it was kind of a place of comfort and solace for me because I felt at home and I felt like, you know, these people kind of knew who I was and, you know, they kind of brought me out of my shell. So I got better um, in a sense, sort of like depression and anxiety wise, I ended up seeing a therapist and talking about my problems and my family was also really, really supportive of me and whatever decisions I made. So that was always really, really helpful. Um, so that's kind of where it all started. And at 16, it was like, kind of started to flare up again. But you know, it, it wasn't really, you know, it, I went to see my therapist again. And I didn't really know what to say. Because I'm like, Oh, I have such a good life. Like, none of this stuff is super important. So like, you know, maybe I just shouldn't talk about it. So I kind of learned to bottle up my feelings in a way. And, you know, that made it a lot worse. And um, yeah, so at 17 is when I started to like, it really got bad. And I think I can only really attribute that time as like, some of the worst points in my life, because you know, it was, I graduated in 2017. And um, a few months before that, I think it was like March or April, I was diagnosed with um, major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. And, you know, I was kind of like, oh, it's this bad. And my doctor said it, you know, you're very clinically severe. And I'm like, what? That, that doesn't sound right. Like, I'm usually happy. So, you know, he, um, he ended up prescribing me on antidepressants and it actually kind of made things worse, but everybody says, yeah, you know, like the first month or so is, it sucks, but then it'll get better. So I was like, all right, all right, fine. I'll, I'll give it a whirl. I'll see how it goes. But, um, through that, it, really started to spike mental health issues that, you know, I had seen and that I hadn't seen before. And, um, you know, when, um, I think it was two months before graduation, um, I think, yeah, around then I wanted to become a vegetarian because I thought, oh, it'll help me lose weight because I won't be eating meat and maybe I'll make healthier choices. 
And, you know, that was all well and good and it was tame. But then I remember it was maybe April or May and I went out with my family and we went to like a Chinese buffet and there were like no options for me. So it, I was like, what the heck do I eat? And then I started thinking, what if I just don't eat at all? So, oh gosh. <laughs> uh, so it was, um, yeah, so, oh my gosh, like I, I don't even know how to begin this story because it's like, it's so much, but um, through, I think it was that day that I just decided like, I want to be skinny. I want to lose a bunch of weight before I get to graduation. And so it was through that mentality that I got really, really mentally and physically sick. Um, it kind of started very like, okay, maybe I'll just eat like 1200 calories a day and then that'll be fine. And you know, it's worked before, but then it started to become kind of like an addiction and it, it felt comforting because I never had any sort of sufficient nutrients in my body. So I, that number kept coming down and down and down until I was maybe eating like less than 700 calories a day. And I even thought like that was too much. And, you know, a bunch of people kind of started noticing like, oh, she's losing a lot of weight and she is, you know, looking very sick and pale. Um, and when, you know, my friends would say, let's go out for lunch, I'd say, okay, but I wouldn't get anything or I'd get something really small. I'd go home and my mom would ask me what I wanted for dinner and I'd like lie. I would like compulsively lie to get myself out of situations where food was involved. And it was really scary because, you know, I was always kind of at or above a normal weight range for my height and my age. But to me, like, I just kept wanting to like go lower and lower and lower. So that was... It was very difficult for me because, you know, people uh, like there were some people who actually like would come up to me and say, like, you're looking so good. What's your secret? As if it was like it was like a congratulations for being malnourished, for like not taking care of myself. And it what it like nobody knew. I had only really told a few of my closest friends that I thought that I had a problem. And they, they were like, okay, well, you know, we can try and do everything we can for you, but I just kept losing weight. I think I lost like, I think it was close to 30 pounds in two months that I had lost. So it, you know, and my grandparents, my mom, my dad, they were all like, Kylie, what's going on? Like, you look sick. I dropped out of school, like I had enough credits to graduate. So I graduated early, but not because like, I didn't like it, but because like, I could physically not get out of bed some days. I would get up and I'd just fall back asleep. It would be so difficult for me to even do the smallest of tasks. And so by that, you know, and 
also on top of that, you know, I was going through a lot of depression and I had suicidal ideations because I thought, you know, oh, I'm not going to get anywhere in life if I don't look a certain way and everybody hates me and I'm not going to do anything good with my life. So what's the point? And I think around that time, I had started self-harming as well. And um, it wasn't anything like, you know, scissors or razor blades or anything like that. But I, I would do it at work. Like I would do it behind the counter with staples or tacks or anything that I could find. And then I'd cover it up with foundation. And I had told my friend that I was self-harming, like the only person that I told. And they ended up calling my parents. And, you know, it, it's really hard to see your divorced parents sitting in a living room together when you come home from work. And they're both looking at you and they're saying, Kylie, like, somebody called us and they told us what's going on. And we're not going to we're not going to sit here and try to make you like stop or do anything that you don't want to, because ultimately that's up to you. But like, if you do want to talk, you, we're here. So I think, I think that was like the last time I ever did it because it hurt me so much to see my parents look like that. Cause I had never seen them look so concerned in my life. And yeah. So and they were also like, we've also noticed that you've been losing a lot of weight rapidly, like what's going on. And so I said, I think I might have an eating disorder. And they were really surprised, actually, because I had never really given off any indication that I had any sort of problems with food or eating, because around them, I would eat to kind of, you know, not let them know. But then I would, you know, go home and I wouldn't eat for the rest of the day or a couple days. And um, yeah, so they were really, really concerned. And I think at that point, it was after graduation that that had all spiked. And, you know, with, um, with the self-harm and the depression and everything, like that kind of stopped. But and I thought that the eating disorder stuff would stop too after a certain point after graduation. But like I said, like it's kind of addicting because you feel almost euphoric when you don't eat or you don't have this sort of nutrient or you feel you feel great because you're losing weight and you're looking more and more like you want to, but it's still not enough. And at that point, I would go for an entire day without eating. And then I'd have like a whole pizza at um, like at midnight, and then I'd throw up and almost every after every meal, I would throw up and I'd make myself sick. And I, my teeth actually started to like, go brown and like they were eroded. And I was like, I, I became really stealthy and I became really good at lying, which is something that I'm not proud of because who wants to lie to their parents? Who wants to lie to their friends? You know, those are the people who care about you. But 
I, I just, I didn't want anybody to tell me you need to eat more or you need to stop doing what you're doing. So I, I hit it and I became really good at hiding it. And it was almost like, I felt good about it almost. And that was really scary. So I remember going to my doctor just before I left for Victoria, um, cause I was going to UVic in September of that year. And, um, I remember you know, telling him what was going on. And I said, I think I might have anorexia because all of my behaviors were kind of, you know, the restriction, the um, not eating, the counting calories, the purging after eating everything, you know, so he hopped me on the scale. And that was a huge fear of mine, because I don't think I'd weighed myself for maybe a year, a year and a half. And he hopped me on the scale and I was like, shit, shit. Oh my God. He's gonna, he's gonna judge me. Oh my God. This is terrible. So I hopped on the scale. I was at a normal weight for everything. And he said, okay, I think you have bulimia because you're not skinny enough to be anorexic. You're not underweight enough. You're actually, you know, right within range. And I felt really not understood and very disheartened because I knew that I had all the characteristics of anorexia, but, you know, in, I, in that kind of range, you know, you can't really be diagnosed with it unless you meet a certain weight criterion. So I felt really misunderstood and I felt terrible and it just kind of kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I, it, kept happening through even university as well. And after three weeks of being there, I lived on residence and I would not go to class. I failed out of like three courses that semester. And it was just so foreign to me that, you know, I had been straight A student. I had been really, really good at school, but I just could not find the motivation to go or do anything and it was so disheartening because you know that was my fear I, I feared that I would fail out of university so it was depression and anxiety on top of you know really not taking care of myself and around that time I met my uh, I met my boyfriend who I'm actually I'm still with today um, three years now it's been um, and you know right off the bat you know, I told him, like, I have an eating disorder, um, but I don't want to do anything about it right now because I don't feel ready. And I told him about all of my mental health stuff. And he and I, I wanted him to know what he was getting into. And, you know, he ended up staying, which was really surprising to me because I'm like, oh, my God, who would want to date a mess like me? But, you know, he... <laughs> He, he did, and he's still around, um, which I'm very, very thankful for. Um, so around that time, you know, I, I think I had contacted treatment at the university at UVic, and um, I got evaluated, and then they never called me back. And I was like, okay, well, what's the point of a mental health service if they're not even going to follow up with you? Mm -hmm. So I kind of took it into my own hands and I got better because I didn't want to be 
that person to myself anymore or to him. So I kind of, you know, got better and things got a bit better. And then I got, I finished first year, I moved out of residence and things were all right. And then I think it was like September or October of 2018. And my life just started going like downhill again. Like I started going back into my old eating disorder cycles. And at that point I had really, really bad um, suicidal ideation. Um, I think it was around that time I actually ended up getting into a car accident and I had to be taken to a hospital by ambulance. Um, I wasn't like, you know, strapped to a gurney or anything and I wasn't bleeding and nobody was harmed, thank God. But they're like, okay, well, we're going to go take you to the hospital. We're going to check you out. So I was like, all right. So they prescribed me with, um, a painkiller and, you know, they were like, all right, you can go home. You're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, just take as you need. Um, obviously, cause you'll be in a lot of pain in the next couple of days. And I think, one night I was with my friends and uh, they had gone to bed and we, we'd all been drinking that night. And I was like, Oh, well, what would happen if I took two, three, four, five. So I ended up taking five of the medications when I was only prescribed to take one um, with the intent to end my life. And it was, it was kind of scary, but I also felt like almost like, oh man, yeah, like I did it, you know, cause I had been thinking about stuff like that since I was 17, I had gone up to Turtle Mountain and I was like, how easy would it be to jump off? And at that point in my life that I did attempt that I just, I, I didn't, feel like I meant anything to the world at that point and I remember waking up the next morning and I was fine and I I was really thankful actually that I was fine because you know I I don't think I'd be where I am today or who I am today if I if you know I had actually ended my life through that so you know, I, I told my friends, I told my mom, and they were all, you know, okay, well, if you need any help, or you want to talk to somebody, like, we're here, and I kind of almost made it sound like a joke, like, oh, man, yeah, like, I got super drunk, and I took, like, five pills, and then they all were, like, Kylie, that's not okay, like, you can't do that, so I, I was really thankful for everybody then, um, that I had in my life at that point because they all kind of helped me through that because they knew what I had tried to do. Um, so that, you know, that kind of made me want to get better. So I made a club, um, where we put on a musical and things were getting really good again until I started getting back into my eating disorder cycle. And, when we were doing the musical, actually, um, I would I would go off and I would throw up in the bathroom like all the time, maybe like three, four times a day. 
And I actually, at that point, I had started abusing laxatives. So I would take like two or three every night. And it just, it was terrible because all I wanted was to be skinny and skinny equaled pretty or beautiful. And that was always a really tough thing in my mind because I, I just wanted to like myself and I wanted to feel comfortable in my own skin. And I just could never achieve that. So I thought the next best thing, and it's, it's just this addiction cycle where it's like, okay, you did it. Now you can lose weight or now you can feel better about yourself. But you know, it just never happened and just kept getting worse and worse. And, um, so yeah, through all of that, it, it was really, really hard. And, um, I think it was, I kind of continued that cycle and on and off with, um, with the restriction for the, that year and then up to this year. And it, like, I went to a psychologist actually, cause I knew that I had anorexic behaviors and I knew that something was wrong. Um, so I went in and she tested me and she said, all right, you have a typical anorexia nervosa. I was like, what the heck is that? Like, there not there just anorexia or bulimia or binge eating disorder? And like, I, I had kind of known a bit of it because I took psychology for a few years until I decided I wanted to do nursing. But, you know, it was so strange because she said yes you have what's known as atypical anorexia which means that no you are not underweight but you do have all the criterion for anorexia so I I I was so relieved to hear that because I actually kind of felt finally like I I had a category of my feelings and my behaviors and I I fit into something that like I could name that I could label and that felt really, really good. Although I was still going through all of that and eating so less during the days. But I think in October of this year, I ended up, calling and getting intaked or intaken, I guess you can say, to um, to the eating disorders program in Victoria here. But even now, like I'm still on the wait list because it's so hard to get into some mental health services that you need. Like, I don't know if it's like that everywhere, but, you know, I, I think it's so strange that for mental health services even if it's outpatient like you have to wait so yeah I'm still waiting for for the call that says like okay like we can help you but yeah so I think with all of that like that's pretty much my story and kind of how you know I I think atypical anorexia is something that people might not think is as serious, but it is. And for people to say, like, you're not skinny enough to meet these requirements or, you know, you don't look like you have an eating disorder, like, that can really hurt somebody. And you never really know what's going on through somebody's mind or 
what's happening in their lives. So, you know, I, I feel so strongly that this was a story that I wanted to tell because I, I just, I, I don't want anybody else to feel disheartened or like they have a problem, but they don't meet some criteria to actually, you know, say that they have a problem because with eating disorders, right. It's, it's not one size fits all. It's not the same for everybody. So to say you don't look like you have one, like it, it just hurts more and more people, the more stigma there is around it. And I think there is still a lot of stigma because people think eating disorder equals weight or means how much you eat. Like anorexic people do eat or, you know, they, they might look more normal or however you want to define normal. Mm-hmm. So it's something very close to my heart because I, I, I know people too who struggle with their eating and who don't want to say anything because they don't think that they would classify and because there's so much stigma surrounding it. And I, one quote that really stuck with me through everything, like through wanting to get uh, treatment and to recover And even when I didn't and when I wasn't ready to, I think the one thing somebody said to me was recovery isn't always linear and there's no one size fits all. And I think that's super important because no matter if you have depression, anxiety, whatever mental health um, issue you may have, there isn't always a one size fits all and recovery can mean relapses and partial recoveries and remissions but nobody's the same and I think that's really important to understand because if people had talked to me like I actually like had a problem and I even if I didn't look at or acknowledged that maybe there was something more going on than just met the eye I think you know, maybe people would be better off and people would be able to actually reach out for that help that they need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, with eating and with diet culture and the media and everything, like people think, oh, the more weight you lose, no matter how fast you lose it or what you're doing to do that, you know, you should be congratulated because you must be doing something right. You must be you know, you, you must be this huge icon, like, wow, you're doing so great, but you don't always know what's going on in their minds and what they do behind closed doors. Like it, it's, it's definitely like, I think if I hadn't been in such an environment where you were celebrated for losing weight you know I think maybe it wouldn't have been so hard but it was and definitely growing up in that dance community and everything too and you know being like oh all dancers have to be thin or else you can't lift yourself off the ground and stuff like that you know and I had like a really actually kind of rude dance teacher who never really said anything about weight but you know she was just a very bad kind of person to be around and it 
you know, I, I very much felt like I wasn't, I wasn't as good or I didn't match up to other people. And it was very favoritized, actually. It was a very favoritized environment. And I felt very not seen. And I think with all of that and with being in that environment, too, I started to be very self-critical of myself. So with with all of it, I, I definitely think that if other people see their friends losing weight or maybe struggling with something like that, it's better to ask if they're okay rather than asking what their secret is or what they're doing or making it seem like they should be celebrated for that because I don't think that's the right thing to do because there could be many different reasons as to why that's happening. So yeah, I honestly, with all of that, I would say, you know, wherever you are in your life and whatever you're going through, reaching out for help and asking help from people around you, like, there's still so much stigma and so much judgment for mental health and people might say you don't look depressed or you don't seem anxious or you don't you're not skinny so how do you think you could have an eating disorder you know i i think you know wherever you might be or however you may feel like being approachable to somebody else who might need help or asking somebody that you trust for help. I think that's so important because there's still so many people who are too scared to say anything. And I think that by sharing everybody's stories on the podcast here, like you have, I think that's so integral to helping people recover and to realize that they're not alone because I felt so alone when I was going through all of that. And if I had known that there were people going through that, that I could maybe talk to or who might understand me, um, I think my, my struggle would have been so much more different than it is or was. So yeah, I, I think, I think the biggest piece of advice or anything that I can give is, you know, be kind to other people. And if you at all have any sort of inkling that something's going on, or you just don't feel good, or you feel that you might need help, like there's always help available, whether you're talking to your family or a therapist or your friends, or somebody that you trust, just, you know, definitely reach out because you can help yourself and you can help other people. I think one of the, one of the things that I want to kind of touch on is um, the whole eating disorder thing. And then even like you talked about uh, going to dance and you always kind of held yourself to a standard and you kind of wanted to look a certain way, or you kind of felt that you had to perform a certain way. And you felt that you had to follow certain steps to basically make that happen. And for myself, I was always kind of the same, um, but in a different kind of light. And when I was playing hockey, one of my things was obviously like you, I always wanted to follow like a strict diet. I always wanted to do that. And for a long time I did, but once my mental health struggles really 
came into play and I started noticing how they were affecting me, it ultimately like it stopped me from eating. And basically the only days that I would actually eat would be like game days because I was, I knew that a two hour game would feel like the longest game in the world if I didn't have any energy from my food. So I would eat basically a pregame meal and then I would have like a snack after and that was kind of it. And then practice days, I'd eat like the smallest amounts. And when I wasn't playing hockey, like when it was off season and I was into like some really deep depressive states, I was, there was so many days when I would like, and not very many people actually know this. So it's just kind of an interesting topic for me to be talking about and me to bring up, but I, um, I would eat so little, like I was eating, like I would have a full plate at dinner. Like somebody would serve me a full plate of food and I would eat like a quarter of it. And that was the only thing I would eat all day. And then I'd go to work. I would train for hockey. I'd do everything. And I would just have like squeak by, like for instance, I would do a workout and a skate. And after that I would eat a banana and then I would go to work all day. And then I would come home and I'd have like a granola bar and then I would have like a small amount of food at dinner. And it was just for the amount of, basically the amount of exercise that I was doing in a day did not even come close on the charts for how much I like food intake I was actually taking in. And it was, it was like, it was sad because I knew that it was all my mental health struggles that were actually getting in the way of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's kind of like the same sort of thing as I always like different, but same, but for me, I always like wanted to hold myself to a certain standard for like looks wise, because I figured that if I was, I figured that if I was working out all day and I was maintaining a certain body image, then that was awesome. And so if I didn't eat, then I would be, I'd look like even better. And Mm -hmm. like when I wouldn't eat, I would, instead of being like, okay, this is really unhealthy. I'd be like, oh man, like I'm going to look even skinnier tomorrow. And then I would basically, once I started noticing that I was getting like skinny, like not skinny, but skinnier. And I noticed that dangerous cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so basically, and then I would try to like eat lots, but then when I would eat lots, I just feel sick. Cause you go from hardly eating to eating a ton and you just, honestly, it throws your whole body off and it makes you feel terrible. And I, and then this kind of leads into the next topic that I want to talk about. And that was when you talked about basically you having no energy to get up and get up and do like, do those everyday simple tasks. Like, Yeah, yeah. And like, not everyone realizes like, and I know part of this is definitely from like eating disorders, but as well as like, for you, I, I know how difficult it can be. I mean, not to the extent of actually like your story, but when you don't eat, when you suffer from depression and anxiety, it is like, it's almost like you have somebody over top of you, like holding you pinned to the bed Yes, and like constantly pulling you back and constant, basically like on your shoulders at all times throughout the day yeah it's like a voice in your head it's kind of like you know oh you don't you don't need to do this just go back to bed it's fine whatever (laughs) exactly and then when it gets to like for me anyways what I find is 
if I have like, if I, there's stuff that I actually have to do and I go and do it and I have like a few more hours left and say it's like noon, mm-hmm. I hit the biggest wall of my life at noon. And I, it feels like the, the rest of the day feels like the longest day. And honestly, it just brings you to a point where it's like, I literally, it's not even a factor of like, I don't want to be doing this. It's a factor of, I physically feel like I can't do it. And it makes, and whether, no matter what it is, it makes it feel so difficult. And I mean, even for myself, there's been times in the morning or at night when it's like, okay, I need to have a shower. And it feels like, feels like I'm going to the gym for an hour, just going to the shower, getting all like basically just getting myself there is a task. And then it's same with like doing like brushing your teeth or making yourself dinner. (laughs) Like any, any little task always feels like the hardest tasks and it, it just becomes overwhelming and not everyone realizes how almost like frustrating it is to have, to have like all these things basically toppling over top of you to the point where you feel like you just, you can't move and you feel so stuck in basically stuck in this. I I don't even know. Like just this. It's like a rut. It's like a hole and there's no ladder to get out. Exactly. And then you're, yeah. And it's just, it makes everything so difficult. Um, And then also another thing that I wanted to kind of talk about was um, how you talked basically about, yourself having to literally do everything to get the help that you needed and mm-hmm. how you would have people that would say oh yeah we'll we'll get back to you in a couple of days and then they never do and you basically have to use every avenue that you possibly can to seek professional help and that one that one really spoke to me because for myself when i had like when i attempted suicide and through basically any times when I was in my like darkest, darkest states, I remember, well, the mo- the one that sticks out the most, and I mean, I've talked about this a decent amount, but it was when I was at the hospital and they told me, oh yeah, we're going to call you in three days. We're going to, we're going to check up on you. We're going to get you the help that you need and so forth. And I knew I'm lucky that I knew this, but I knew that this probably wasn't going to be the case. So I took it in my own hands, went out, got the help that I needed, reached out to um, a past psychiatrist that I had, which basically took all the right steps, had all the right support systems around me to make that possible. But that's one that frustrates me is because I never got a phone call back from the hospital. And that's where there's like a lot of holes in the mental health world essentially and I mean I'm just starting to figure out more and more and places that I kind of want to branch out to and things that I think need kind of immediate attention and that's definitely one of them is there's not like if you say that you're going to call somebody who was just in the hospital for mental health I Mm -hmm. suggest that you probably call them because you know they're going to be looking at their phone yeah seven waiting for that phone call and then if there's never a phone call think about like how discriminating that is or like basically how how worthless you feel when 
it's like you walk in there and you're at the worst point in your life. And the people tell you, yeah, we're going to get you help. We're here for you. We support you. And then they never call. And you're a part of you who's in there probably because you feel super alone. So think about after the aftermath of it. And when they don't call, think about how alone you feel then. And I know for myself, I was like, I kept waiting for that phone call, waiting for that phone call. And when it never, like, I mean, I was already taking new steps, getting everything organized, (laughs) but even the fact of them not calling me, I was like, wow, like, I feel like I don't matter. Yeah. And or my problems aren't as big as I might make them seem. Yeah, exactly. And so, and that's the part that that's where I think it makes a lot of people hold it within themselves even mm-hmm. more is because you're in there because you probably didn't talk about it all that much, or maybe you did. I'm not too sure, but you're in there for a reason. And when you come out and you're basically, you're still in this exact same state that you were when you went in, like there's, you haven't taken any of the steps. You haven't seek professional help right away. And that's when it's like, you almost sit there and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, is there something wrong with me? (laughs) Am I in my suit? Like my, this, that week, uh, like, is this all basically in my head or am I just like over-exaggerating? Like what's kind of going on. And that's like a common thing with a lot of people. And I know I've had a lot of conversations with people about it and it's just like it's so important that obviously if somebody's in there for that reason like you actually get them the help that they need and I don't know the reasons why they don't do that I'm not entirely sure but I mean like I would love to know because I think it I think it's something that has to change and I don't know how to change it if I if I can I mean I'll put my head down and try and make it happen but (laughs) Yeah, I, for sure. I think yeah, I think it kind of just comes within the within the whole mental health community, if you will, and yeah. the hospital and even like the education system. I mean, I could go on and on and on about. Oh my education. god! Don't even get me started on the education system. I know we'll we'll be here talking for hours and hours. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just there's so many. I mean, with mental health, with any form of disease or like depression, anxiety, anorexia, they're like bipolar disorder, anything. Like there's so many things that are out there. And like you said, you honestly, you never know if anyone, like you never know what someone's going through in their life. You never know if they've been diagnosed with anything. And you just like, you just never really know the extent of someone's health per se, like where they stand, what's going on in their life and what's like, for me anyways, I know so many people that are the happiest on the outside. And then I also know that they have a lot of stuff going on at home and, Mm -hmm. or like with their mental health. And it was always the same with myself. Like I would go to the rink. I like, and even again, like, social media is a big thing for this. And it's like this big mask. And for myself, I always portrayed this mask that I had, I was basically living like this, the best life ever. And then 
a lot of people, like once I obviously started this, a lot of people are like, holy cow, like I, I would never know. And that just like spoke to this, this platform and spoke to basically mental health in a whole is like, you never know, like you can see somebody's Instagram posts and you go, wow, like they live the best life. I want to live a life like them. And then you actually talk to that person, you talk to them about their mental health and it's like, okay, maybe, maybe not. Like maybe I'm yeah. a lot more fortunate, even though I'm not doing all this stuff or don't have the same opportunities, but it's like all about where you're at mentally, I think. And that's like, for me, I would, if my, if I knew that my mental health would be 100% the best that it's ever been, I would give that up for any amount of money, like any given day, yeah. never have a, a suicidal thought to never have anxiety, especially like anxiety kills me. <laughs> like anxiety is, anxiety is definitely one of my, my biggest things that I'm trying to conquer. And I have been for years. And I mean, there's always, I learn a lot from like from you, from everyone that comes on the podcast about like different ways to even to cope with anxiety and different things that work. And through all my professional help, I've learned a lot of, I learned a lot of really neat things that have helped me and that I always like to pass on to others because I think it's important to, to pass along the information. It's not some, it's not some secret <laughs> with what, uh, what procedures you're basically taking to better your mental health. And I mean, that's why we're here. We're here to help, help people get better, help people to better their mental health and ultimately prove that like everyone has a story and it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to speak up. It's okay to, to possess vulnerability. And I think everyone that comes on the podcast is proving that like being vulnerable and sharing basically the, some of the deepest parts of your story is pure strength. And it is the strongest thing that anyone could possibly do because it's allowing people into like literally the darkest, darkest parts of your life. And that's, that's incredible. And you should be like, Oh my gosh, I almost knocked my mic. Over. <laughs> you should be very, very proud of yourself and very like, Oh, like, I don't even know what words to describe here. Like just, it is insane. And it was incredible having you on this podcast and having you share your story and helping like you just helping so many people and being open to doing this and just knowing that your story is going to be out there for everyone to listen to and to obviously gain some tips of advice from and to actually just like gain a better understanding of who you actually are and it's incredible and I, I can't thank you enough for that. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that because I, I think it's just so important for people to know and people to be supportive and even like things that I've never told others before. Like, I think it's just in, it's an incredible feeling to be able to do this because there have been people in my life where, you know, I thought they were close to me and they said, oh, you faked all of your mental health for attention and stuff like that. But you never truly know. And I think that's so amazing what you're doing here with this. Thank you. Yeah, I, no, I really appreciate that. And it's so true. You honestly never know. And anyone that questions a person's mental health or suicidal attempts, self-harm, anything like that, I 
I think that's just so it's so wrong and I mean that's essentially again like why we're here we're here to just shine a light on that and just obviously prove like to never belittle someone for having mental health struggles never treat anyone differently for having mental health struggles and ultimately basically normalizing the topic of mental health in a whole because that's the essentially the only way that we're going to be open about our basically all of our emotions all of our struggles and just every last feeling that we have and i so important but yeah um, if somebody does want to reach out to you and either talk to you about some of the things that you've been through or just ask you for advice or just anything along those lines where could they actually reach you at uh they can reach me on instagram on facebook like i can give you all that information um there because like i I'm always open to talking with people, whether they're struggling with the same things or whether they just want to talk or ask questions. Like it's something extremely close to my heart. And the more people that kind of, you know, ask or want to talk, the better. Mm -hmm. Again, I cannot thank you enough for being on the podcast, for sharing everything that you shared and obviously for allowing us to understand you better and understand your story better. It's been incredible. And seriously like thank you thank you for that thank you of course oh my gosh it feels so good (laughs) i'm glad that's exactly why we're here it's to feel good to to basically let everything out and to know that it's out there is honestly it feels like a weight off the shoulders and it's like empowering almost exactly i know yeah Yeah. it's basically finding strength behind your voice which is incredible Mm -hmm. awesome well thank you so much and We'll definitely keep in contact. We'll be sure to help a ton of people. And I have a couple of things that I'm in the works for, and I'd love to have you a part of it, but I'll just, I'll basically keep you, yes, keep you in the loop and I'll, uh, yeah, I'll keep, I'll just keep you informed. Yeah. Sounds great. Okay. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lucas. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Struggle Create Strength. I hope everyone enjoyed Kylie's story and I encourage you to reach out to her and talk to her about some of these topics. Also, if you want to reach me or come on the podcast, you're more than welcome to at Struggle Create Strength on both Instagram and Facebook. You can also reach me on my website at strugglecreatestrength.com. All podcasts are posted on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and additional posts are posted on Instagram as well. Be sure to share this platform and all the podcasts with everyone because the more people that it reaches means the more people that it can help. I hope everyone enjoyed Kylie's story and just remember that everyone has a story. Uno, dos,